Welcome to Breaking Brave. I'm your host, Marilyn Barefoot. And I wanted to mention that if you would like to connect with me directly, you can always do so at MarilynBarefoot.com or BreakingBrave.show. I see and answer every single contact personally, and I would truly love to hear from you. Welcome to Breaking Brave. I'm your host, Marilyn Barefoot. The collaboration between my guest, Carol Curry, and her husband, Stuart Leggett, is a celebration between an artist and a sculptor and their shared love of nature. They create tactile living paintings that invite interactive and intimate experiences with the viewing. Their artistic mission is to remove the industrial noises and provide a bond between the seeing and the nature depicted in the art. Today, I'm speaking with Carol about how her passion for painting pushes her forward, despite an undiagnosable mass within the left side of her brain. Please welcome the very brave Carol Curry. My guest today is Carol Curry. And the work that Carol Curry does is, in my humble estimation, breathtaking. So I'm going to just, I'm going to read something off my wall right now. So the collaboration between Carol Curry and her husband, partner, Stuart Leggett, is a celebration between an artist and a sculptor and their shared love of nature. And I think that sums it up so incredibly beautifully. Welcome to Breaking Brave, Carol. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so excited. Where are you talking to me from? And maybe just tell the world who you are, what you do, and then we'll jump in and start having a chat. Okay, so I'm in my attic Midland studio. I have two studios. There's one on the main level uh, that's open to the public. We're in Midland, Ontario. Uh, We're downtown core commercial. And that is why we open the doors to the main studio level, the studio gallery on the main level. Beautiful. (laughs) And Carol, what do you and Stuart do together in your own words? So we know you're an artist, but where does Stuart fit and where do you fit when you're working together? Well, we have two separate studios, which is very good because he works on wood. So chipping at wood, air tooling on wood, and also sandblasting on wood. Okay, so first, we go to nature in a place in nature, I take pictures. And then we go home after the adventure, usually backcountry adventure. Part of the adventure is going somewhere that nobody can get to. Excellent. Yes. And then we go home and I have like at least 500 photos to go through. So I go through the computer and try to get it down to about 100. And then I go further and go to at least 50. And then I find a really interesting picture that we can both work on. And then I bring them to Stu 
And he kind of says, okay, I can try this and I can do this. And, and then he goes into whatever we choose. He goes into his studio and tries to bring the, the drawing to life by sculpting, which takes at least eight months. Oh, my God. Does it really? Yeah, for, for a, a large carving. Okay, so just so that I've got this right, the works that you're doing together have been called sculpted paintings. So Stuart is, Stu, is a, is a sculptor, and you are a painter. Right. You take the pictures, you produce the drawing, the sketch, if you will, right. yeah. after you've decided on what you want to do. And then he works sculpting a kind of a flat surface which is no longer flat piece of wood so that that's the base if you will of right. the painting have i got that right yes uh yeah so we ended up not calling it sculpted paintings anymore because most people said well how do you add like are you adding and and Stu said no we're removing it's bas relief so it's it's really ancient uh, for the bob relief sculptures that are in, you know, medieval times or Roman churches and stuff like that. Yes. Right. Okay. So that made people to understand. So yes. we're removing material. So he starts from at least three inch or two inch and then removes mm -hmm. it. And that's why wow. sandblasting or air tools to get it starting to come down. Excellent. And thank you for that. Thank you for that correction. He is much better at uh, describing his process than me. <laughs> oh, we all got it. It's fantastic. Yeah, okay. And so the reason he's removing the material from the wood is to create what in terms of the, the ultimate effect that you're working towards? Three-dimensional. So why he does that is because most people started to look at my flat paintings with an eye of, wow, it looks so, so dimensional. The rocks mm. were so dimensional. And Stu was listening, and, and he's a very good listener. And so he said, well, in his mind, he said, well, I can make it dimensional. Yeah. And then... That's what started the whole process. So fantastic. So eight months later, you now have the removed pieces or sections of, yes. the, of the work. Then what happens, Carol? After essentially Stuart yeah. is going to now hand this, hand this off to you and now what happens? Uh, well, after the uh, nine-month gestation, I call it, he had a baby. <laughs> <laughs> And now it's my turn to take over the baby. Yes, um, exactly. Yeah. Um, since I'm already doing in eight months, I already have to paint. You know, I can't just stop painting. So I needed to keep my painting skills and, you know, clients happy with a different product. So when I'm painting on flat panels, I am in complete control. And so it was, it's very interesting going from nine months to all my solo work to going to a, a bas relief sculpture. 
Yeah. So I need to look at all the crannies mm. and I need to try to paint within the crannies. And also I have to try to give it the justice that Stu spent so many hours and l- he's passionate. He doesn't really like to call it that, but <laughs> obviously because he's such a perfectionist and that's why it's always next Wednesday, next Wednesday, because he's <laughs> so perfectionist Yep. and trying to get as f- smooth a finish as he can get. And so now I, I'm trepidatious to start painting, even though I've been excited for nine months, watching it happen, which normally I can't even understand in 3D what he's working on. Yeah. <laughs> if you see the process, I have no, he always says, oh, well, what do you think of this? And I said, I have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> so normally it's best if I stay out of his studio and then he hands it over And so I have to sit with it for at least, I don't know, probably a couple weeks for me to really get into it. Now, in that that gestation period of two weeks, I'll call it that, when Stuart hands over this nine-month creation, does he say to you then, Carol, well, this divot, for lack of a better terminology, is meant to be this, or I kind of figured that the rock, or 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 does he just hand it to you and say, away you go, now you just do your magic and I'm not going to get involved at this point. What happens in the transition of the handoff? No, he's, uh, he's uh, very good. Because he knows what I'm capable of mm-hmm. and seeing how I work with my flat paintings, He's already a way ahead of me mentally or emotionally without saying anything about what what I'll do to it. So he just hands it off and just says, okay, you go. You live with it for two weeks and, and kind of spend time with it and, and, and decide how you want to approach it. Right. And then, so the first step, as soon as I, I, I get over that, uh, what do you call that? Um, fear? Fear <laughs> guess, of, yes. yeah. <laughs> of touching his work that he's just yeah. spent nine months doing. Yes. Yeah, right. That's fear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he, the only thing he always says is use a tack cloth before you start, you know, okay. because I, because he knows when I work on a flat piece, that it's always full of dirt and dust and cat hair. <laughs> I I thought it was kind of funny. It, it it's art, you know. You you take it just as it is because right. there's dust in the house and there's a cat. Okay, right, <laughs> right. But Stu is very perfectionist, so you need to just du- use a tack cloth before you put any brush or paint to the piece. And so um, the first step is using the tack cloth and then I start blocking in. And that's that's my way of putting myself into his piece. Emotion, like it's, it's so, um, uh, you know, I don't really talk about a, an emotional piece, but it is two souls 
put together. I understand. And when the world goes to your website that we'll call out at the end of this before we uh, before we say goodbye, your work, you can feel that emotion. You can feel it. Yeah. It, it, it just exudes off the work because it's so incredibly beautiful. All right. So I'm going to jump to, can you tell the world, Carol, in your own words, obviously your own words, <laughs> <laughs> through nobody else's words, the backstory on this of why maybe you're having difficulty bringing words forward sometimes. Let's let's understand, let the world understand what that medical story is. Okay, so I can first start by saying that we collaboratively worked on pieces, like there's a hundred sculpted pieces. Mm-hmm. And in the last five years, we were doing very large format commissions. So anywhere from 40 by 60 to um, 26 by 117 inches for big hallways. But they were all for a private person. And we haven't done anything since my health changed. So suddenly, in 2012, I had a, I would say, a major headache. like. I couldn't do, like, we were open in the galleries, holding shows for other artists. Um, and in May, there was an artist in in our home, and I couldn't go down to the opening because it was that severe. And I've had, uh, what do you call those? Um, migraines. Yes. I've had a couple of migraines, uh, but it it wasn't that. It wasn't that. It was like a pulsing in my neck. Every It was almost like um, I was having a baby. I haven't had baby, but I hear, you know, the um, contractions every, mm-hmm. every second. Well, this was every second. Every second. There was a sur- surge of shock in my neck, and that lasted three weeks. And no, nothing could... Eliminate. Normally, if I get a headache, I would just take an Advil. And then if it was a severe headache, then I would take an Advil cupped with Tylenol. Mm-hmm. And both of those at the same time can usually always eliminate. But th- these, it wasn't, it wasn't doing it. So, okay. How are you feeling at this point? You got to, are you afraid? Are you... When you've taken what you think is supposed to get rid of it, and mm. always has in the past, how are you feeling at this point with this headache that won't go away for three weeks? Um, yeah, I was kind of concerned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I was in bed the whole time. Well, pretty much. Um, at least a week. At least a week. Because for the week that I was in bed, we have a doctor that is a, a kind of a, a friend. So uh, Stu called her and said, uh, what can you do for my, for Carol? So I had to go see her and she tried to get some concoction. Um, so what I, what I knew is if this headache could continue, 
or would continue, it'd be the death of me. I don't want to say that I would commit suicide, but it was suicidal. The headache. And I, I appreciate anybody that goes through that much pain chronically for over years. I have to hand it to them because it only lasted three weeks. So what did the doctor suggest that you do to find out what was going on? Like what, what, what was the step after three weeks? Was there, or did it just go away? Well, she, she gave me some different medications uh, and that helped, but she already, um, when I saw her, she already had a, a, a referral to a neurologist, but. Um, and so the neurologist, you did see the neurologist and what did the neurologist say? Well, first of all, I had to get an MRI. Uh-huh. And then, and then there's such a long wait line in uh, for any special uh, specialist, and I had to wait three months to see the, the neurologist after I got my MRI in two months before, and um, it was kind of funny because I I was an artist in residence in the uh, National um, uh, Beausoleil Island which is Mm -hmm. close to Midland, uh, Mm -hmm. and that's a national park. Mm -hmm. And so I had the whole week uh, of doing sketches and stuff that was for artists in residence. So on that, I was kind of feeling good at that point. This was three months later. I thought I was pretty good. And then I went for a bike ride and blah, 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 and and... I fell, and a week later, I had some banding feeling in my, um, it's almost like a, you know, in your rib cage where your bra is, mm-hmm. it was like a band that was tightening around the bra, the bra, it was very weird. And I, I would assume that you would figure, oh, well, this must have been from the fall from the bike ride. Right. Maybe. Kind of. But- I didn't fall like that, like around my rib cage. But then all of a sudden, my um, my numbing in my right leg, it started at the bottom in the calf. And then the next day, it was radiating. The numbing was going up my leg to my hip. And then, like, I couldn't even feel my bum. <laughs> so that... At one point, my whole right side was was uh, numbing with the band. Still happening around the rib bra right. area. Oh yeah. <sighs> and so, and my uh, my appointment was with the neurologist two days after I got back from the trip. So it was good timing. Otherwise, I would have uh, gone Excellent. to the emergency or something. So. Um, he got me right away in um, an MRI of my spine, like right then. And he said, well, I'm pretty sure you probably have a transverse myelitis. Yeah, help me with that. I have it on my wall, but I don't know what it means. What is transverse myelitis? Well, it can make a person paralyzed. Okay. And that's why he was very... uh, 
prompt with getting it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also a first, uh, it can be a first, it can be the first symptom of MS. Got it. And then he put me on a corticosteroids. Okay. Just to see if that would help with the inflammation around my spine Mm -hmm. to see if it could be um, knocked down so that I wouldn't become paralyzed. Yes. But it kept on for two or three months. So these drugs did nothing? Nothing. No. So what's the next step in the journey that now, Carol? So these drugs <laughs> and that diagnosis doesn't seem to be what's really happening. Right. So as soon as I left the office, I, uh, he said, uh, well, what are we going to do with you? <laughs> this, this is not my decision as to what you're going to do with me. You're the medical guy, so figure that out. Yeah. So he did a... Um, he he performed a, a lumbar puncture. Okay. Um, That's to drain fluid away from your spine? Right, but it's also to test, test your blood. Okay. And he he saw that um, when the results came in, he saw uh, several banding in the my, yeah, so it means that it might be MS or it can be 10 other different things of Lyme disease or lupus and blah, blah, blah. There's so many other. So at that point, I thought, well, I'm going to just um, uh, get a second opinion. And I researched in St. Mike's the uh, best MS neurologist. And so I had an appointment with her in uh, March, and that was September. Another long wait. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so in the meantime, in the meantime, I was doing all kinds of research. <laughs> yes, good for you. Dr. Google. Yes. Well, and we all have to be our own yep. self-patient advocates yep. in these situations, right? Yeah. And I already had all my CDs that I had already um, experienced, and I already had a binder starting of all the blood work that I had. Okay. Excellent. So now you're going to St. Mike's, to the best neurologist possible in March of what year approximately, Carol? That's 2013. Okay. So what happens after you see this fabulous neurologist at St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto in 2013? What 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 happens from there? Well, uh, because my MRI always showed a very um, a cloudy white space, it, a lesion, they call it. It's a, something abnormal in my yeah. brain, in my brain. Um, and, and I was always very concerned because I've heard about tumefactive MS. And it's very rare. And because the other neurologists couldn't figure this out. Maybe it's just a one-time occurrence. But so I went to see her and she said, that's not a tumefactive MS that lesion doesn't not look like that. And so she took it to the MRI images to the tumor board. And there's about, I think there's eight people within the tumor board of St. Mike's. And there was a couple that said, well, I see this 
all the time. I see this all the time. This is brain cancer. This is what we deal with all the time. And it looks like a tumor of the brain. Um, Stu always went to every appointment that I had as a second voice or as a second ear, right? Because he's yes. very, very good at processing and I'm, I'm so scrambled. <laughs> Listen, when you're in the patient's seat, it's pretty hard to take all this in. It's also pretty hard to think about the various types of questions that you should be maybe asking. But when you've got somebody else there with you, they can advocate for you and they can also yeah. come up with the questions you likely need to or want to ask. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I can't remember exactly what we felt uh, when um, when she said, well, um, you're going to see a neurosurgeon. Okay. I still was on the, on, <laughs> I was still on the page of a tumefactive MS because what I read so often is that even the best neurologist uh, might not see it. But you need to get a surgery to see to see what the surgeon sees, a sample, at least a sample, to get it perfectly diagnosed. So I was on that page. <laughs> so I didn't really actually think that I did have a tumor, uh, a brain tumor. Get it. All right. I understand. You decided what it was. Yeah. So next step is the neurosurgeon. Yeah. So what happens now? You go to see the neurosurgeon and they say, what is going to happen next, Carol? Well, he said that uh, Stu actually really remembers that he said, I believe it's a, a glioblastoma, yeah. which is the worst. Yeah. Usually takes eight months to a year. Uh, yeah. That's what uh, Tragically Hip had. Yes. And he he actually um, worked on him. Oh, uh, wow! Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he said, "Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a sample because it's it's so so deep in, and because it's fluffy around the edges, it's not core, so you, they can't remove it. So you, they just need a sample to know." what style of chemo or radiation that you would like. And you, I remember this. He said, well, I can send you to um, a chemotherapist in Sunnybrook, uh, but he's not very nice. He doesn't have good bedside manners. <laughs> or you can, I can send you to St. Mike's where he's a happy guy or, or uh, Princess Margaret. And but Stu actually remembers that um, you're not going to want to eliminate any quality time. The neurosurgeon said you should go have steak and drink wine as much as you want. And I, I didn't hear that part. So that was Stu saying or thinking that she's going to die. Yeah, when a doctor tells you that, and I imagine just as a, mm -hmm. you probably just didn't hear it, or you heard yeah. it and you forgot it, because that's yeah. just not something you want to wrap your head around right now. 
Right. So, so after the appointment, we went to the um, Nathan Phillips Square to just digest it. And it was kind of funny. We said, what the fuck just happened? Yeah. Talk what? about the, sh- the shock of your life. Yeah. Like, but we were joking. We're like, mm. what the, you know, what the hell happened? You know, we're just, <laughs> that's not true. Um, so in the appointment, he said, um, well, we're going to do an awake craniotomy because it's so deep and you would need to be awake for some components so that when I put a needle in that you're, you're going to be able to read stuff off of, um, like A, B, C, D to make sure that I'm capable, I'm still capable of reading and doing stuff and because he was having to poke in my brain so I thought well that's that's okay because I really want to know if it's a tumefactive MS so anyway I uh, he said well I think you need to do it soon very soon we can have you in the operating room in five days so he said, well, I can give you all the, the videos of a craniotomy because I, I need to see. I, I really need to see. At first, I'm I not really wanting to see, but I need to see what happens. And so I watched it and Stu watched it. And, um, hmm. and so we had a big discussion. Like, why wouldn't we just... If we're going to have steak, why wouldn't we just use the the rest to go to Spain? If this is only going to be eight months or a year or six months, then we should just do whatever we want to do. And I said, uh, because he, he chose Spain because I've always wanted to, like, uh, you know, Dali you know, Salvador Dali. And, you know, I love Spain. Anyway, all the arches and old buildings. And so he, and I said, after a period of time, like, obviously I have to make decision quick. I said, well, I guess in, I don't want to go to Spain. I actually really like where I live, Jordan Bay. I would love to paint more of Georgian Bay. And then we had to decide on the surgery. And I was really stuck on getting it. So to the neurosurgeon, you said, yes. Yes. We're going to go ahead with the surgery. And to Stu, you said, after that, we'll go and do some more work in Georgian Bay. Mm Mm-hmm. So what did they find out when they did the surgery? Well, they found out that I'm abnormal. (laughs) I could have told them that. (laughs) They didn't have to go take my plate off my head. Anyway, uh, no, they, it was, it was abnormal, the specimen. And he got it from, I think, two different places uh, or three different. He was able to poke three times, but they were all abnormal. 
and they couldn't determine anything. And he, he said, you're a fascinoma. So a fascinoma is, we have no idea what this is. Yeah. Wow. But it continued to grow. Okay. And what's the next step after this? It's just, just go back and have it monitored and yeah. keep an eye on whatever it is. Yeah. For, uh, we went to MRIs every four months. Okay. And it's getting bigger. Mm-hmm. In 2015, it got so large and started to go into different parts of the brain. And so uh, 2015 was another needle biopsy of the brain without the open craniotomy and still the same. <laughs> and still they can't figure out what this is. No. And we were already at seeing a specialist in uh, Princess Margaret. They were all doing teamwork, like mm-hmm. the St. Mike's neurosurgeon and the uh, chemotherapist in uh, Princess Margaret, uh, neurologist. They were all keeping track of me. And they would both get the MRI results. And, um, and they did all kinds of blood work that is not common, but nothing, nothing. Thank God, at least my MRI had some, you know, you know how women or men or anybody that says that they have some symptoms or, you know, and they, the doctors just say, ah, well, you you probably don't have anything. Right. But uh, my symptoms were gone. So all the numbness and the Mm -hmm. headaches Mm -hmm. and the the pain, the yeah. debilitating pain that you or had gone through. Yeah. This mass is growing in your mm-hmm. brain and moving into different parts of your brain. And yet, at this point, there's no symptoms. Right. Right. And that was, that was shocking to me. So you're still painting at this yeah. point through all yeah. of this. You and Stuart are working together. You're taking taking commissions. You're... You're like, this thing has a life of its own in, in your brain, but you are still working exactly the same way you always had. Am I correct with that? Yes. Okay. So when did that change for you, Carol? So we're at like 2015. So when did things change for you? Uh, 2016, in February, I started to get a foot drop. My mother was in the hospital, and so I walked up. I usually, I try to walk up everywhere, walk somewhere. Yes. Yes. So I went up to um, see her at the hospital, which is about a half an hour walk from our house. And um, towards the end of getting to the hospital, I noticed my foot was like slapping the pavement. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what is that? And i just thought, well, that's weird. And then it went away, you know, by when I got to the hospital, I was sitting down. And so it was, it didn't do it anymore just because I guess I rested. Yes. And that progressed for four, five months. As soon as I went walking, it would do this. I used to run at least a half an hour, uh, four times a week. Yes. I used to use it as a meditation after painting or, you know, de- decompressing. Yes. 
and my running, my I couldn't really run with that with that foot doing that. And then when I came inside after three months of trying that, then I noticed other things. Uh, so when I went for a run, and at the end of the run, I went to see Stu in the in his shop, and I couldn't get my words out. Hmm. It was like I was drunk. I was like, you know, I was, and he's like, what are you doing? (laughs) I was, I was, I was trying to get my word. I said, I'm, I'm, I just came in from a run. It was like, I was, it was like I was drunk. Yeah. And he said, where did you go and get drunk? I said, it was about, I think it was about 10 minutes before I could speak clearly. And then I noticed at the same time, I noticed my, I couldn't really raise my foot. Like if there was a bicycle to try to put your foot over the bar, I couldn't lift it more than probably uh, a foot off the ground. And then it radiated for another two months, and then my hand tremor, my hand tremor. So this is a pivotal moment because you're right-hand dominant, Mm -hmm. and you paint with your right hand, Mm -hmm. and this is starting to look like tremors like Parkinson's or something, right? Well, uh, the neurologist said it might be an essential Tremor, you know, it's like um, Catherine Hepburn. Uh, and so, therefore, when I looked at that, it can go into other, the other hand. You know, it can, it can encompass both hands and your voice, like mm-hmm. the, tr- the tremor in your voice. I said, what the heck? What's going on with my body? My body is rejecting something. So what'd you do? Now, now you can't paint. Now that. Oh, I was very frustrated. Very frustrated. Angry. Um, I was working on a, a 30 by 60 commission from a previous client that uh, and a friend. I was working on, and I used to have to hold my wrist down to paint with my right hand. Mm-hmm. And I knew that that wouldn't be um, that wouldn't be able be- because my whole shoulder was tense, mm-hmm. and I couldn't, you know, I wouldn't be able to succeed as as a painter at that point. But I'm stubborn, and I'm passionate about painting, and so I was trying to just I was trying to control my body. It was very internal, but um, I I was starting to paint with my uh, my right hand had to be held down for I I think it was about a month, and my body said I can't do that, and the mind said internally pass the brush to my left, and I just said no 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 I got this under control. And uh, suddenly, after like a, about a, two weeks or a month, you know, it was like a it was like a nagging voice, like a, a child 
on your pant leg. Come on, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I, I passed the brush over to my left hand and I knew at that moment, the first stroke, the first stroke, I knew I'd be left-hand painter. I had no idea, but I knew it. You know, I, I get chills every time I think of that. And that was in 2016, the end of 2016. And I finished the 30 by 60 painting with my left hand. I never went back to my right hand after that, after that first stroke. Incredible. And I understand that at some point in time, Stuart said to you, well, if by some miracle or somebody could wave a magic yeah. wand and you could go back to using your right hand, would you, Carol? And what did you answer? Nope. Nope. There is no question I would not have uh, gone back to my right hand. I would maybe be uh, become a ambidextrous painter. Mm -hmm. uh, using both hands, uh, but definitely my left hand is so much more powerful. And with this experience, I think that is also why I can paint better with my left hand. It's incredible. It's incredible. Somebody, and I'm afraid I don't know the name of the director or the producer, did a documentary about you called Left Brain, Right Brain mm -hmm. that people can see on your website where you tell this story. So today it's 2023. So mm. let's talk about what, what, what is today look like for you, Carol? I mean, in terms of your, your health and your passion for painting. And let's jump from... 2016 now to 2023 what is the it has anyone figured out what this is yet no that to me is astounding well during my research i found out that there's i think 300,000 canadians that have no diagnosis is that right yeah that is that just shocks me right so that's that shocked me as well. So I wasn't alone. And so today as we speak, are you in pain? Are you on medication? Let's ask those two questions. No. No, no, no. No. No no meds, no, no. pain. And you and your partner husband, yeah. are you still working together on producing beautiful big work like you were before? Uh not yet. Okay. Because he had to he had to change the business as soon as I got sick and headaches and all that. So he had to go to uh, 20 shows to promote my work or our work. Mm -hmm. And it was mostly um I have I have 500 uh solo paintings. I did it in small format like uh, gift size items, like for Christmas shows and one of a kind. And so he can do those shows. So he was doing those shows for, for I think, from 2016 or probably 2015 up until the pandemic. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So 
because he was so busy with 20 shows, he couldn't get into the studio to balance his time. And we weren't even sure if I can continue to paint. Right. Because I had to, my my left hand took about two or three years years to get back to where I kind of was. Uh, as soon as I started learning with the left hand, my production was going from 50 down to 10. Of course. And it increased a little bit every year. So... We aren't yet ready to uh, do the sculpted paintings. But yes, that is our plan. Excellent. <laughs> so your work, the big, big, huge stuff that you worked on with your husband, Stuart, and the smaller, as you describe them, gift sizes, originals as well as reproductions, right, can be found on your website... Right. Which is, which is, do you want to do a call out on your website? <laughs> I've also got it on. Go ahead. www. It's hard to say that. Claustro.ca. Okay. There's a few menus. Uh, Claustro, Stu Leggett, Carol Curry, and all the exhibitions and gallery work and the blog and then the contact. But if, if you really want to see the sculpted, then you go to Claustro. And if you really want to see Carol Curry solo work, then you go to Carol Curry drop down. And those, uh, those are the only available works that we have is under Carol Curry. C-L-A-U-S-T-R-O. Right. Claustro.ca. Right. Excellent. And and is your gallery shop gallery still open to the public in the town of Midland? Yeah, um, usually we're only open Saturdays from twelve to four, but um, uh, we I'm always down there, uh, so it's best to make an appointment anytime after Saturday. Um, Excellent. Yeah. So um, yeah, just text me. 705-427-9446 and just text me and tell me what when you want to come. Excellent. We're pretty open. We never go on holidays. So <laughs> <laughs> Carol, what's next for you? I, I mean, how often are the hospitals checking in? Is it every three, four months you're doing more MRIs or what's what's the what's the future of the medical thing? Well, uh, the last time was June. Okay. Uh, of this year. And mm-hmm. it's uh, so since 2015, it hasn't, it hasn't moved. It no hasn't growth, increased. No, no, no increase, no decrease, just stayed exactly the same. Right. Okay. But I'm still getting symptoms. I still have symptoms. But so now I'm, tr- I'm trying to deal with the new normal. Yeah. And Try not to go to any doctor's appointments. <laughs> I'm I'm happy to not let health become the most important part of my our lives. I understand. And Carol, what does bravery mean to you? 
Hmm. It's kind of funny because a lot of people said when I when the film came out um, and we were doing shows and we did one in Sudbury where I knew a few, um, quite a few people um, who came to see us and they were emergency nurses. And so I got her perspective. She said, oh my gosh, you're so brave. And I said, um, I don't know. I, I wouldn't call myself brave. I, I was just doing what I had to do. Um, and she, she actually vocalized. Um, she said, well, in the emergency room, we have two types of patients. She said, when something goes really wrong, you can lay down and die. Or the other, other type is get up and go. And she said, uh, you're, you're that kind of person that is just getting up and going. And I never really thought of that. So I still wouldn't say that I'm brave, but I, I just got up and went. (laughs) 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 You know, I love it. I love it. And you know what, lady? Yes, you are very brave and incredibly talented. So I want the world to go to Colostro, C-L-A-U-S-T-R-O dot C-A, and look at your work or visit your studio at 372 Midland Avenue because your work is incredible. And the soulfulness and the heart and the incredible human that you are and your husband is, it, you, you can feel it through the painting. You can feel it through the work. I'm so happy that I can still paint. Oh, and one last thing before we wrap up, Carol. In the film, you mentioned, well, you're practicing something. So can Mm. you tell the world what that is? Because I think that's a great thing to finish this conversation with. Yeah. uh, So uh, my my feet and toes aren't very good with the nimbling. (laughs) You know, there's people that can uh, paint with their feet. But I said, if I, if I lose my left hand, then I'm going to start painting with my mouth. I'm that determined and passionate. I was so determined to be able to paint with my left hand. So nothing's going to stop me. And the only thing I thought was, well, I can paint with my mouth. And I practiced with my uh, students, my young students. We all practice with our mouth. (laughs) Uh, You are the definition of brave, Carol Curry. This has been an honor and a delight because you are an incredible inspiration and an incredible talent. Thank you, Carol. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much for listening. For updates between episodes, I'd encourage you to join my mailing list, which you can do at either MarilynBarefoot.com or BreakingBrave.show. At most once a month, at least once a quarter, you'll receive an update on the latest resources, topics, and information I've found either super helpful or amazingly impactful. That's it for now. See you next time.